So Exodus 25, verse 31. And I just thought I wouldn't, you know, try to bite off more than I can chew. Probably stick to one piece of furniture every Wednesday so you can get out at a decent time here. And so, verse 31, it says, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, his flowers shall be of the same. And the six branches shall come out of the side of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and the flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers and there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same. Talk about detail, amen. According to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick, their knops and their branches shall be of the same, and, and all shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, and that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold, of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And so a talent. And now a talent would be approximately about 125 pounds. And so you look at the cost of gold today. What is it an ounce? Anybody know what the cost of gold is? So you think about that, 125 pounds. You're looking at a very expensive candlestick here. Amen. And a very heavy one. And so uh, it's, it's very valuable. And uh, so we're going to move on here and, and talk about this today. In Exodus uh, verse 40 or chapter 40, it talks about the placement of that candlestick. And it says, And he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. And he lighted the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. And oh, here I have it. Uh, it would be, I, I, now I put this these details as far as the value that was a few years ago so it'll probably be a little different but look you're looking at about a quarter million dollars for that golden candlestick the the value of the gold within that candlestick and so that's uh that's good amen and so letter a the candlestick's message about jesus christ because we know that within the holy place we're not just talking about just jesus anymore we're talking about the believers and the service towards the lord and so the holy places where the believers would be, and also these, this furniture also pictures us uh, as well as Christ. And so Jesus Christ is the light of the world, is number one. He came that we could have the light of life. In John 8, 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In John 1, 9, it says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And then way at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, verse 23, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And so we're talking about later on, after this world is dealt with, when we're in the new perfect age, uh, there's going to be no sun. In that, in that perfect age. There's going to be no sun shining on that earth. The light itself will be the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ will be the light of the world, literally. And so that's quite interesting. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. 
And so there we see as well, there's still kings of the earth. There's still things going on on that new earth. Yet Jesus Christ is the light of that world. Um, so he is the opposite of darkness. Light is always referring to truth in the Bible. Darkness refers to lies. Uh, Christ has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means he is truth. I am the way, the truth. In Colossians 2, 3, it says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so light is purity and darkness is filthiness. And so Jesus Christ is pure light. At Hebrews 7, verse 26, it says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Number two, Jesus Christ's origin. No mention was made of the base for the candlestick. It's interesting, but there's nothing mentioned about that because the light of God came from heaven. Mankind in his spiritual darknesses on earth could not comprehend this divine light. And we saw that in, in the book of John, that, uh, that, light, uh, that he came as light into the world and the darkness comprehended it not. And so Jesus Christ's origin is in heaven. In Hebrews 8 verse 5 it says, it talks about who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Mo Moses was admonished of God when he was about to, to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. And we can't forget that the tabernacle is simply an earthly picture of heavenly truths. And that's what we have to keep in mind whenever we're serving in the church or whatever we're doing here, uh, we're expressing in a, in a physical way that which is heavenly and invisible. And so that's why it's important how we do the Lord's Supper and baptism and how we operate within the local church. Uh, a lot of people think that doesn't matter. It's just a, just a picture. Well, the thing is, it's picturing something heavenly and something holy, and you don't mess with that. And throughout the scriptures, God has shown us that even when Moses spoke, uh, smote the rock, when he was supposed to speak to the rock, it kept him out of the promised land. He could not go into the promised land. After all of that belly aching of the people and suffering uh, through all that, God would not let him into the promised land because he messed up the picture. Amen? He just didn't do what he was told to do. And so I always think it's very important that we were careful about it. I think it was James Dobson, uh, Focus on the Family, said that he had the Lord's Supper with Coca-Cola and uh, potato chips on the beach with some young people. And uh, see, folks, maybe that sounds good to people. And they say, oh, you know, how, you know, <laughs> whatever. But folks, that, that's sacrilege. I mean, that's wicked. Uh, you don't do stuff like that. You, you, we have to express according to the pattern that has been shown us. We can't just pick and choose that stuff. Amen. It's not up to us. All right. In John 1, verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Those that love this world cannot understand the heavenly things. We're always trying to make earthly that which is to be heavenly. Salvation is offered on earth, but is offered from heaven. But it's amazing, as soon as it's offered, man wants to make it earthly, wants to make it something that we produce or something that we have to make happen. But no, that's not the way God operates. He says, I'm giving it from heaven. You just have to accept it for what it is. Amen. Don't try to make it earthy. It is heavenly. And so true blessings of life are not found on earth, but they originate in heaven. And that's why even he, Ephesians talks about how that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So where the spiritual blessings come from? Heavenly places. You're not going to find it down here. 
folks, uh, sure, it's a blessing when you can get a good job and you can maybe make a paycheck and say, oh, that's a blessing. But that's not what the Lord is talking about, spiritual blessings. But yet it's funny how we put all of our emphasis on the earthly and on the, the amount of money we make. Now I'm blessed. The prosperity gospel, right? Uh, when we got lots of money, then we're, then we're blessed. Well, that's not what God says. You can be poor as Job's turkey and you can still be pretty blessed by the Lord. Amen. And so uh, we've go, got to be careful how our mind thinks about these things. In Colossians 1.12, it says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is of a heavenly source. Amen. Uh, number three. Jesus Christ's death. The candlestick is made of pure gold, beaten into its shape. Uh, there's no wood inside this candlestick. It's all gold. Without Christ's sacrifice of himself, we would have no spiritual sight. You think about that. If Jesus wouldn't have died for you, you wouldn't understand even what I'm preaching today. In fact, I wouldn't be preaching today. There'd be no purpose to it. Amen. But you would have no spiritual insight because of Christ not applying his blood and purging your conscience so that you can uh, serve God with a pure heart. Amen. Uh, that blood of Christ was very important that you could see clearly. And so without that death, you're seeing nothing spiritual. You're just earthly. You're just focusing on stuff down here. Amen. And so it's very important. In John 12, verse 32, it says, And I, if I be lifted up upon the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And this he did signify by what death he should die. And so the death is what drew men to himself. Without the death, there was no drawing to the light. There was no understanding the light. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.10, it says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so all these things have come to light through the gospel itself. We could not see the light until the nails were driven into the hand. We cannot see the light until the blood ran from his body. And in his weakened voice, he said, Father, forgive them. There was no way you could see the light. He had to apply his blood. He had to forgive you. <clears throat> Without forgiveness, there is no spiritual insight in your life. And the only reason you can understand anything that's even being taught today or understood today is because you have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because sin hasn't darkened your heart and mind. Amen? That means you've been cleansed. And because of that, you can understand. How many of you have heard somebody talk about reading the Bible and they're, they're not saved? And I've read the Bible, and I, I've read the Bible, and I know what I'm talking about. And you know for a fact they don't have a clue what they're talking about. And they can read it a hundred times, and they still wouldn't know what they're talking about. Because until you are saved, you cannot understand. And the Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of God. So you can read the words, and I can see the words, and I can read it, and maybe I can put together a story of some sort, but I can't get the deeper things of the Bible. I can't understand those things. The Bible says that the spiritual man judgeth all things. And so you think about that. A man that has been cleansed, a man that has had the blood applied to his life and is walking in the light of that word, is someone that is spiritually judging things all the time. So that makes me wonder about this. What about these people that are always against you for judging things? Where are they? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to shut you down. They're trying to say, hey, stop making everything such a problem. Hey, that's not a big deal. Or why, why you got a problem with that? And they're always trying to weaken your, your, your perception or your judgment of the things in this world. When the Bible says you, not, you have to expose them, you have to reprove them. Amen. Scripturally, I mean, not just critically, but you have to do it scripturally. You have to reprove the things of the, of the world. And the Bible says that we ought not walk uh, or fellowship with the works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Amen. And so the spiritual man judgeth all things. And that's because we've been forgiven. The blood has been applied uh, because Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's how the light was lit. Without that death, that light would not be lit. Amen. And so he has become the light of our world as well. Uh, number four, Jesus Christ's resurrection. So the candlestick was designed after an almond tree, which signifies the resurrection. It's interesting, when we went to uh, Israel, and they came, there was a new uh, area that they had discovered, and that was Shiloh. Shiloh was where the uh, tabernacle was sitting for 400 years. This is before it was brought to Jerusalem, before David actually brought it to Jerusalem. And this is where it was taken from when Eli and his sons thought that taking the ark into the battle was going to help them, but it was actually captured by the Philistines. And so until that point, it was 400 years in this particular spot. And so we went to that spot. We were able to stand on the place where that tabernacle was set up. And you could look around and, and just see the, just how awesome it must have been as they sat around on the hills. And they say, if you go around on those hills in that area, You'd find broken plates and glass, uh, like cups and different things like that, because people would come there to sacrifice and to pray and so forth, and they would sit along the hills, and they would look down at this tabernacle with the glory of God on it. Amen. What a wonderful thing to, to take in. And this is where Hannah went, and she prayed for Samuel, and that's how, and how Eli said, you're, you're going to have a son and so forth. In that very spot, but it was interesting, as we were walking back, I noticed all these trees and all these trees were almond trees. Now that's, that's interesting too, because it has very much to do with what the tabernacle is talking about. It, the almond is, is a picture of the resurrection about life. Like even when Aaron's rod budded, you know, when they were in the wilderness, it, it budded and it produced almonds. It brought forth light, life. So you had this dead rod that had no life and it was basically cut off from its source. Now is producing almonds which is a picture of the resurrection, amen? Picture of God's uh, life being placed into it. And so Jesus Christ's resurrection, the candlestick was designed after an almond tree, <clears throat> which signifies the resurrection. The almond tree was the first to bud and bring fruit in the season. The knops are the buds of the almond tree. And so that's what a knop is, you know, in case you wanted to know that. In John 1, 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so light and salvation, strength and life all have to do with Christ and what he is giving us here in this picture of the, of the candlestick. In Psalm 36, verse 9, it says, For with thee is the fountain of life, in thy light shall we see light. And so we know that light and life come together. I don't know if you've heard this. They say that when a, when a child is conceived in a womb, that there's an explosion of light 
that to this day no scientist can actually explain. I don't, I don't get it, but you know what? With life comes light. And we also believe that life begins at conception, not uh, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. And so the light is produced at the time of the conception, you see. And so it's interesting. Light and life, they go together. So letter B, we'll look at the candlestick's message about the church. Number one, the church must keep Christ central. Jesus is the center stem of the candlestick. Jesus Christ is to remain the center focus of the church. Uh, in Romans 11, verse 16, it says, <clears throat> For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Amen. And so Jesus Christ is the root of our life and we are grafted into him and that's what's producing light out of us. Uh, in Revelation 2 verse 1 it says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Revel Revelation 2 4 nevertheless, I don't know why I have that one there, nothing to do with it. But when did... <clears throat> When did Christ ask us to build his church? Think about this. He never once told us to build a church. I mean, you can build a church building. We're doing that. We're renovating. But he never asked us to build his church. In fact, he said in the scriptures that upon this rock, I will build my church. So our responsibility isn't to build the church. So we don't become, you know, uh, possessed with this idea of just, just getting everybody into the church. It's not what our job is. Our job is to preach the word of God. Our job is to go and give out the gospel. And the Lord, he says, he will build the church. And that's something I've noticed. You know, like sometimes uh, we go out and we'll give out the gospel to people. And you say, well, this must be how the Lord builds his church because these people are going to get saved. And then they're going to come into the church. But how many times has that really happened? <laughs> Amen. It's so hard to do it that way. We cannot produce that way. But what I find is as we are obedient, giving out the gospel... Also, the Lord is bringing people from a totally different direction and building his church. Now, I'm not saying all of them don't come in the church, but, you know, uh, you give out the gospel a lot out there in soul winning, and very few of them come to the church house. So that's not building the church. That's just being obedient to our command of preaching the gospel to every creature, you know, and baptizing the converts and so forth as they, as they go forward. And so that's why for me sometimes... You know, maybe you lead someone to Christ at a door. You know, I don't really take it seriously until they step within the church house and, and maybe even profess their faith in Christ and, and maybe even get baptized. You know, until then, you just, I don't know. I mean, they pray to prayer. How do you know what's happened in their heart? You don't know. I mean, we're not here, you know, notching off our belt with how many I've led to Christ this year. I, I'd be more about notching off how many came to Christ and were baptized and is faithful to the church this year. Now that would be something, but you know what? The Lord does all of that. Uh, you know, I've never gone to that business where I try to take credit for what the Lord is doing in his church. We're just simply supposed to be obedient and do what we're supposed to do within the house of God. But you know, when I hear people talking about, well, I brought this person in. 
well, they're here because of me. I say, man, if they're here because of you, they probably won't stay long because you're going to have to be pretty good to keep them in. You're going to have to be a lot like Jesus, <laughs> you know, and that might be hard for you to do. So don't take credit for what the Lord is doing. He builds his church. Amen. Don't worry about getting a pat on the back. He'll give you the pat on the back in heaven. You know, uh, in fact, you don't want it. You don't want that claim that glory anyways. Christ is at the center. That's what this is all about. He's the one that has to be lifted up, not you or me. I don't care about putting my name in lights. I don't care whether people know my name. It really doesn't matter. I'm just here to preach the word of God and take seriously the responsibilities that the Lord has given me. And I just want to do that till Jesus comes. Amen. And that's exactly the same mentality you ought to have. Amen. And let's just put Jesus at the center of this thing. And if we do that, he will build his church. He didn't ask us to focus on how big the church is getting. Yet that seems to be all over the place what the big thing is. Now, I'm excited when we get 130 people on a, on a Sunday morning because I, I get excited about what God is doing. I really do. I don't take credit for it. I say, oh, this is because of me. No, it's not. Uh, if it would be me, there'd be probably me and my wife here. <laughs> you know, even my kids wouldn't want to come to church. Amen. But, you know, if the Lord's doing something, he's drawing people to himself. Amen. He is the light. And if he can use us as a light, praise God. But he is the root. He is the source. He is the center. He is everything. Amen. And we got to be careful that we keep it that way. Um, he just asks us to become like him, believe his promises, do what he's asked us to do. And you know what? He will take care of building his church. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. But it's interesting, they're winning Jews and they're winning Greeks, you know, because of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. See, this is a problem within uh, many churches today, is that the message they have isn't based on the message of Christ. It's based on the message of man. Man's trying to control things. Man's trying to put everything into how they want it to go. And so they preach a message that is far lower than the message that they could be preaching, which is Christ. I don't even want to preach myself where I am. I want to preach higher than myself. Because if I preach where I'm myself, some of you have already surpassed me. You're past where I am. So if I preach where I am, you're going to get pretty bored. <laughs> Amen. I've got to preach Christ. We all got to preach Christ. We all got to put him up high. And then all of us together, we tell Jesus comes, we can keep focusing on him and we'll never run out of room to grow in this church. Amen. But we cannot bring down that level of preaching. We got to preach Christ and him crucified. He's got to be the focus of our, of our preaching here. In Colossians 1.27, it says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's what it's all about. He's in us. We preach him and we warn people that be careful because if you're not careful, you're not going to have Jesus Christ formed in you the way that you should have him formed in you. And there's things in this world that are drawing you away from that, that new transformation that the Lord has for your life. And so we warn, we preach and we warn, we preach and we warn, amen? So number two, uh, about the church. Uh, the church is uh, in relation to the candlestick. 
The church is complete in Christ. There are six branches coming out of the center stem. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of completion. Christ makes up the seventh branch, which is, which is a central stem completing the, the candlestick. And you see it in Colossians 2.8. It says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. That's interesting. You have a whole list of things here, and only one thing on this side. It says, be, care be careful, they're going to spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, tradition, the base things or the rudiment things of this world, and not after Christ, the one thing. <laughs> so what the devil's doing is, he says, I, I don't care what you hold on to. I don't care if you have tradition, religion, I don't care if you have philosophy, uh, really it doesn't matter to me, as long as it's not Christ. So all of these things are in opposition to Christ. And these things will spoil us and keep us from being what God wants us to be. Then it goes on to say, For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So what is it that you think is going to complete your life right now? What's going to complete you? And it's amazing the things we'll come up with because we'll think about stuff down here and we'll come up with maybe a wife or a husband or maybe a good job or uh, having some, being able to pay my bills or <laughs> this, that, or the other. And our focus is so down here that we think somehow we're going to be completed by things that are happening down here. That's not it. The Bible says you're only completed one way and that's in him. So as soon as you've got an earthly perspective, you're on this side again, those four things. You're starting to be spoiled. You're losing everything you could have and everything you could become because you're not focusing on the one thing you need to focus on, and that's Christ. And so uh, if Christ is enough, you will not forsake the things of God. You will continue on if Christ is enough. People leave the things of God because for some reason they get discontent with the things that they see in the church because it doesn't give them what they think they need to complete themselves. Maybe they need someone in the church to always give me a pat on the back. Or maybe, Pastor, you need to let me do this ministry. And if I can't do this, I'm going to go somewhere else. They think, that's going to complete me. Sorry, it's not going to complete you. If you can't make Christ your completer, then you will leave. You're going to be gone one day. But if you will put Christ first and he's going to be the completer of your life, you will be faithful until Jesus comes. Isn't that what you want to be? That is the mentality of your heart and mind that you've got to have. If you don't, you're going to lose out. You're going to be spoiled. And spoiled means you're going to have the good things stolen from your life through philosophies and vain deceit and things like that. Uh, so number three, the church can do nothing of eternal value without Christ. The six branches come out of its side. Christ is divine. We are the branches. Any good fruit in our life is a result of being in Christ and yielding to his leading. We call that abiding in Christ. In John 5, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. And so Jesus Christ is that deliverer, that vine. You guys ever had a, like a grapevine or something like that? It's interesting. There's a main vine, but then there's a bunch of branches. And every year, and I was never good at this, I always had to ask somebody to help me with it, which ones do you cut, which ones don't you cut? And so you got to keep an eye on them, and the ones that don't deliver fruit, you have to cut them, because if you don't, then the next year, they're going to steal away from the ability for the next branch to bring forth 
grapes out of that branch. And so you've got to start limiting uh, these. And that's why the Bible talks about, um, I don't know if I have it here, but it talks about if they bear not fruit, he purges it. And he casts it into the fire. And that's not talking about losing salvation, of course. The concept of John 15, it's talking about the vineyard producing. So there is a way that a Christian, because you're not producing, you don't care about having the Lord as your vine, he says, well, then I'll take you out of my process. I'll take you out of my, producing, my, my production process. Because you're actually stealing away the ability for others to bring forth fruit. And how many Christians do you know like that? That are just draining the house of God. They're, they're, they're not contributing, but they're sucking the life out of it. They're, they're the wet blankets. <laughs> Amen. You ever met a wet blanket? I mean, no matter what, they, they're just always taking things. They're always just drawing things away from you. Never contributing into your life. You know? And things like that, that's, that's a branch that's not bearing forth fruit. And the Lord can say, you know what? Clip. Paul said that he was concerned, and he was always concerned that he would become a castaway, put on a shelf. Didn't mean he's going to lose his salvation, but you know what? Salvation and service are two different things. And God wants to use you because you're saved to serve him. But if you don't give yourself to him and allow him to work through you, then how can he use you? Amen? And you can lose that. And folks, I guarantee you this that when it comes to the end, there's going to be more Christians that have wasted their, their service than those that actually took advantage of the place that they have. I, I believe there's going to be a lot of Christians standing before the Lord that didn't do what God wanted them to do. That's my experience as a Christian, as a pastor. In churches, there's few. That's why they say only 10% do 100% of the work or 90% of the work. Well, where are the 90, other 90%? What are they doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know that there's, there's, there's growth periods, and sometimes next year that one steps up and so forth, and the Lord knows all of that. It's not up to me to dictate who or what or why. But all I'm saying is let's be careful. Let's not become this drag on the things of God. Let's be someone that produces and, and serves and gives and, and puts into the work of God and makes it productive as Christ gives you that strength. Amen? That's so important. So in John 15, verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So think about that, that, that dependability you have, that in order for you to truly produce anything, you have to abide in Christ. So what does it take for you not to abide in Christ? Not very much. All you got to do is get disgruntled and bitter and angry and have sin in your life and different things like that, and you've stopped abiding. You're no longer living in that abiding relationship with Him, and He can no longer produce through you what you need in order to produce fruit for the Lord. Amen? And fruit we're talking about is, the fruit of the Christian is other Christians. <laughs> you're, you're giving your life into the growth of other people, whether that's winning them to Christ, whether that's helping them to grow in Christ, encouraging them, helping them through suffering, whatever it may be. But, but our, we, we can't do that unless we're abiding in the Lord constantly. Amen? Wow. And so that vine, so he has to become central. And so it says, 
Um, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And so, so what he does sometimes, it says at the beginning of uh, John 15, I don't have it here, but how it talks, how that sometimes he purges the, the, the branch. And, and I found, you know, somebody once said that if you have a, a tomato plant that, and the tomatoes aren't ripening fast enough, if you just put a little nick into the stem, it'll actually ripen a lot quicker. So it's interesting how the Lord sometimes gives us a little nick, <laughs> you know. He cuts us a little bit so that we ripen and we become more mature. So we allow suffering in our life and different things like that so we grow. So that we can bring forth more fruit. Amen. And so he allows that in our life. And so he said, without me, you can do nothing. That means you, you won't produce anything. You're, it, it's, it's the stuff coming from the vine that is producing anything through you. If you were to cut yourself off from that vine, you would be just a withered, uh, dried up stick. Amen. Just like Aaron's rod. But then the Lord showed him, but let me show you what I can do with my power and bring almonds out of that rod. Amen. So I think there's always a chance, as long as you're still breathing, you know, you can go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I have been a withered old stick. And you know, that's the way it is. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not vibrant for the Lord. I don't care about the things of God. I don't think about them all day long. I don't think about them at all. I'm thinking about myself and what I can get and what I'm doing. I'm just a withered stick. I'm not concerned about others, you know. And it's very easy for us to get like that in our, in our carnal states. Amen. Just thinking about ourselves, never thinking about the person next to you on the job. Like, is, is this person going to heaven or hell? You know, do I really care? <laughs> and I'm not saying every first time you meet somebody, you ought to put, put the light in their face and say, are you saved? And, you know, but you know what? You ought to, in your mind, you ought to know that my place here is somehow to get the light to this person and be that light first. I'm supposed to shine as a light, and then I'm supposed to somehow get them the message. And it may be not be in the first day or the first month or the first six months, but I'll tell you something. It won't be in any months if it's not even on my mind. You know, I ought to be thinking about it constantly when I'm going to work. I've got to reach some people here. My coworkers are lost. If they were to die, they'd go to hell, you know? Like I said, you got to let the Lord lead you as, as to how that transpires. And he will open up those opportunities. And I've seen him do that. And you probably have as well over and over how that he just opens up a door, a conversation or something. It's not always where you force it to take place because you're some zealous dummy, you know, zeal without knowledge, you know. But, you know, if, if you're praying about it and you before you go to work, say, Lord, just help me to be right with you today. Help me to shine as a light today so that I can somehow be an influence on these people that maybe a door will open up uh, where one-on-one I'll be able to talk to somebody because it's not going to be you and the crew. I'm sorry, that rarely works. If that would work, that would be like God coming down from heaven and smiting them with a bright light. I mean, uh, I've never seen that happen. You know, I've led groups to the Lord, but I mean, on the job, no. <laughs> on the job, no. It's usually a one-on-one -on -one thing. And you pray for those situations to take place and not during while you're getting paid from the boss, amen? On break times or afterwards or lunch or whatever, anyways. Uh, and so uh, the Bible says in Philippians 1.11, 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. It's all about him getting the praise. John 3, 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And it talks about how that brings forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 1. That's not the right verse either. We'll move on. Number four. The church is to be a perpetual burning light in the world. The lamps were never to be extinguished. The scriptures show that the lamps went out when Israel turned their hearts from God. So it was really a sign when the lamps went out that their care for the things of God went out. And that's exactly what happened. It's interesting because Eli, who was the, high pri who was the priest at that time, the high priest and his sons, which were, the Bible says, sons of Belial, that means they were, they were sinful. They would take bribes. They would be immoral. They would use their position to get to feed the flesh as priests. And I talk about, wow, you know, that, talk about playing with fire, you know. But that's what they were doing. And Eli was being kind of complicit in it. He wasn't really stopping it. He would say, hey, kids, you ought not do that. But he didn't put his foot down and grab him by the back of the shirt and Pew, you're out of here. That's not what he did. And the Bible says that he honored his sons more than he honored God. And it's amazing because his eyes began to go dim. So he began to become blind and he couldn't see anymore. And it was during that time that the light in the tabernacle went out. And it was never supposed to go out. It says in Exodus 27 verse 20, it says, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring pure olive oil beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always, always. And it's interesting, at that time where, where Eli, at the end of that 400 years, there was no vision from God during Eli's day. There was no communication. God did not say a thing during that time. He answered prayer. Of course, Hannah's prayer he answered. But there was no open vision. There was no direction from God. No new thing that he was trying to teach because their eyes were not open to it. <clears throat> and so the lamps went out. So what is God doing? He's raising up a new priest, a new prophet. And that was going to be Samuel. And Samuel was that first priest prophet slash prophet. And so he knew that the children of Israel were going to ask for a king. And that's what was going to happen in, in a short time. That wasn't God's will. But at the same time, God rose up a priest. But at the same time, this, this priest was not just going to be a priest. He was going to be a prophet. And the prophet would always be that guy that would stand between the king and God. The king would always go to the prophet and, and say, oh, should we do this? And the prophet would get it from God and say, you shouldn't or you should. So God was preparing Samuel to be this first judge, priest, prophet. Uh, just a real interesting transition in the time of Israel with this, with this uh, boy Samuel that came on the scene. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. And so here the lamp went out that night. God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, listen to me. This is what's going to happen. 
Wow. So we were, we were existing in a very dark time at that point when the lamp is out, the, the priests are corrupt. Eli you know, honored his sons more than he honored God. And God says, this is going to stop. And he brought judgment. And we know that his sons were judged and they were killed in battle. And then when Eli heard about that, he fell backward and he broke his neck and he died. Judgment came upon them because they weren't following the Lord. The lamps were put out also before Hezekiah's reign. And it's amazing because during that time, the fathers were killed, the women and the children, they were in captivity. And it all coincided with the, with the lamps being out. Amen. When the light is out, there's captivity, there's death, there's destruction. But when the light is on, there's safety. You're walking in the light of the Lord. Amen. Second Chronicles 29, 6, it says, For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps. They put out the lamps. With Eli, the lamps just went out. They probably ran out of oil because they were just being negligent. But at this time, they actually went in there and actually snuffed out the lamps. Wow, what a wicked society it was. And they had not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. So they stopped caring about spending time with God. They didn't care if their life was pleasing to God, which is a picture of the, the altar of incense. They became self-righteous and they forgot the cost of sin. They didn't offer the burnt offerings anymore. See, even during the millennial reign, when Jesus Christ is going to rule for a thousand years, you'd think there'd be no need for burnt offerings. You know what? For a thousand years, there's going to be burnt offerings. See, why? To remind them of the cost of sin is death. Because there's still lost people on the earth. They forgot to, they were no longer offering. They put the lamps out. Don't want, to, don't want to hear from God. I don't want, to, don't want the word of God. In fact, it was Hezekiah that they, they came upon, upon the scrolls, upon the scriptures, and it was read to him, and then he, whoa, you know, same with Josiah. And then revival hit, because they wanted to do right. Amen? So it took the word of God being brought back into it, and the light being put back on again. And that's what Hezekiah did. He brought revival, same as Josiah. He did the same thing a little later. Um, Psalm, or Philippians 2, verse 14, it says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Hold forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So we are the children of light. We're supposed to be uh, like the sons of God, blameless, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. There shouldn't be any reason that you are being rebuked because of sinful things in your life, because you're being careful about your lifestyle. You're being careful how you behave yourself. You're without rebuke. Then it says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So you're not hiding yourself in the basement or putting yourself on a commune somewhere out of this world. You're in the midst of it. But in the midst of it, you're, it says, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. So that Bible is so important. Amen. Holding forth the truth to people. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 5, it says, Ye are the, all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night 
nor of darkness. Amen. We shouldn't be the children of darkness. Ephesians 5, 8, it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So now you have to practically put into practice that light life. Amen. You used to walk in darkness, but now you're supposed to make a decision because you are a child of light that you should walk in that light. That's according to Scripture. John 12, 36, While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide them, himself from them. Matthew 5, 14, Ye are the light of the world, and the city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So this private Christianity stuff is not a good thing for you. The Bible says your light is designed to be put on a candlestick, not to be put underneath the bed. Like when I knocked on that one door one time, asked them, you know, if they knew the Lord or if they knew if they were to die, they'd go to heaven. Oh, we have our own faith. They didn't want to show me their light. They just said, no, no, we have our own. It's hidden under the bed in here. And uh, so I don't need your light. I didn't know what they believed. They weren't willing to tell me. They weren't willing to, to let that light shine. So if I was in darkness knocking on the door, I would have no chance to get saved, even coming right to their door. And yet they said they had their own faith because they didn't put the light on the candlestick. They hid it under the bed. Amen? The Bible says if you're a light, you're supposed to set it up high. You're not supposed to hide it. Amen? So on the job, do they know you're a Christian? I'm not saying be bold and brash about it and proud about it, but your lifestyle and the way that you behave and your decisions that you make and what you will or will not do is going to reveal to them that there's something different about you and they will know that you are a Christian by the way you behave. Amen? That's putting your light up top. Then it says that your light ought, ought to be there so that they may see your good works. That means if you don't have your light exposed... They won't even see the things that you're trying to do for God. There's a lot of people doing stuff. But we also got to have the light up. And the light is your spirit. You're going on the job site and you're complaining about your pay. You're complaining about your boss. I'm sorry, your light is nowhere to be seen. But if you're there and you're, you're doing there, you're working hard so that you can make your boss's company a success. Boy, that drives your coworkers crazy. <laughs> They don't want a, your boss to succeed. It's crazy. They're getting paid by them, but they don't want them to succeed. But that's what you do. You're there to make them succeed. And the moment you start complaining, your spirit becomes bad at your boss, your light is out. Your walk with God is over. And then you've got to repent. You've got to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, put, put that light back on again. You know, Because they're not seeing anything I'm doing for God because my spirit is so sour. Amen. They ought to know something about you that they say, man, that spirit is so good. You ever see somebody and, they're, they're, and you say, man, that guy's got a great spirit. And when you see that great spirit, because of that, you see that the things they do become accentuated too. And that's what the Lord wants it. And he says, let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works <clears throat> and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So it's not about you. It's not about making you the hero. It's so that the Father in heaven looks good and you glorify him. Amen.
So Jesus Christ is a source of life and light. As we receive Christ's life, we also receive Christ's ability to be a light in this world. This light is there for the world to see, to see Christ's work through us. And so that light is so important. It, it, remember, it's, it coincides with life. Where there's life, there's light. And so if you have life, you should have light. And if that life of Christ is being expressed through you, then you'll also have the light of Christ being shown through you.